Uh, Father, you are gracious, merciful, patient, slow to anger. You are abounding in steadfast love and loving kindness. Lord Jesus, you are the judge of all nations. Everyone will give an account before you in the end. And remind us, Lord, of the danger of denying you, of staying in our sins, of refusing to love and, the, and to trust you. Would you protect Mercy Hill Church from false teachers and from anyone who would desire to disrupt things here and get us off loving you, Jesus, and off of your mission, Lord Jesus. Enable and empower us, Holy Spirit, to keep trusting in you and to pursue righteousness, to pursue your right ways, that we would be preserved by you and rescued from the trials that we face. In this moment, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to help me speak your words, not my own. We want to make much of you and less of me. Open our hearts to hear your voice, get our eyes on heaven and off of what we're facing today. Through Christ we pray. Amen. also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift, swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he bought, brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by, the turning, by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Do you want me to finish it? Or? Yeah. It's kind of, it kind of starts I'm another sentence. Ready. Okay. <laughs> There's, it kind of breaks, so I wasn't sure. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Just to keep you on your toes there. And keep, you, now you're keeping me on my toes. Thank you for reading that. Uh, we're continuing this second or third installment, I think third installment in our current summer series on Second Peter called God's Grace Transforms. One of the most uh, helpful books of the Bible for me to actually change, and I'm a real piece of work, and that's a... That's a miracle of God, let me tell you. And the idea is for us to work through this entire book by early September, verse by verse, uh, that we would not miss anything that God would have to share with us. You may have noticed that this 
uh, passage has some rough edges, and we're not afraid of that. Uh, let's just deal with it and try to figure out what God wants to speak to us. The title of this message in inspiration of this passage is uh, three words, judgment and rescue. Judgment and rescue. And very interesting dynamic there. And in thinking about this, this dynamic of judgment and rescue uh, and a time that, when did I experience uh, judgment and rescue in my own life? Well, the first story that came to mind is a time when I was in grade nine, just about 14, 15 years old. And at that time, I was sort of just figuring out as a, uh, a boy becoming a man that you didn't always have to listen to what the teacher told you to do um, wrongly, sinfully, okay? I was just kind of getting this, feeling this out a little bit. And uh, that's not me, by the way. It's the best I could find. Uh, you don't want to see a 14-year-old me. But anyhow, I was just kind of pushing the limits of what you could get away with. And as it turns out, my homeroom grade 9 teacher uh, was... There was, it was just like oil and water, you know, just the personality clash in every way, plus I'm somewhat rebellious to my fault, and um, I just did not listen to her. I kind of made her life, I made it my goal to make her life rather miserable, and please don't do this, okay, pointing to my son, please don't do this, he's actually headed into grade nine. Anyhow, but why, why did I do this? Well, again, I was rebellious, I was still in my sin, I took joy in making her life bad, but, you know, in hindsight, in thinking about some of the, the, the behavior that she exhibited, and again, this is through 14-year-old eyes uh, and lenses, um, there was a little bit of some psychotic stuff going on, but I won't get into that. Uh, you don't get away with that kind of behavior today. And up in Grand Prairie in the middle of nowhere, like, it's hard to get teachers up there. And I think we kind of, anyhow, um, so she was there. Anyhow, I was in the wrong. I was in the wrong mostly. And so the night of the parent-teacher interviews arrives and these often happen after the report card time and because of my very bad grades or worsened grades from the previous year my my parents were like what is going on and then my my teacher wrote all kinds of nasty things about me in the report card and my parents are like this is bad we got to find out what's going on and so in my teacher's mind i'm sure she was looking forward to parent teacher interviews like this like Finally, I'm going to cast judgment upon that terrible Kurt. I'm going to judge him. I'm going to call him out to his parents. I'm going to expose his very unruly, rebellious. I'm going to make Kurt pay, finally, for how he's treating me. I can finally get him back. He deserves judgment. And she was right. I did. But here's the thing. With my parents, um, when they get to that time of the interview, they sit down with this teacher and interestingly, they start defending me because it's all judgment. And, and in, in short, I won't get into the details. Uh, basically, they vigorously, by the end of the interview, stand up for me and push back on what she's saying. And my parents finally return home that night. I'm on edge. I'm so nervous. I'm like, I assume it's going to be judgment day for my parents. I don't want that. But to my sheer delight and relief, my parents tell me, we don't blame you. She's a little psychotic, okay? She's a little weird. We don't blame you. We get it. We get it. But please don't treat her badly. Anyhow, here's what happened. My parents rescued me. I deserve judgment, but they rescued me. I deserved accountability, but they preserved me from that. And as things turned out, things got a lot better, a lot more positive with me 
and that somewhat psychotic teacher. Um, anyhow, I won't get into details. It's hard to be a teacher, uh, believe me. Oh, I, I know some of you are teachers in the room, and it's a tough job. Here's what happened, though. My parents rescued me even though I deserved judgment and accountability, and things got better. And it's this kind of dynamic, sort of, that we see kind of in our passage, but in a much greater, much more serious kind of way, uh, where those who uh, resist God, resist His love, say no to the cross, and say no to His ways, and say no to His authority in, in, in their lives, uh, they rightfully receive judgment. That's kind of how it works. We see that in our passage. And, and by the way, we have all sinned against God. We all deserve judgment. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. But according to God's grace, though, thanks be to God for Jesus coming to, on a rescue mission to save us from ourselves, save us from judgment for our sins, absorbing our due judgment in our place. We can be rescued by Jesus. We can be preserved by Jesus in order to then lead more people to Jesus to then be rescued and preserved as well. So we're going to drill down on this idea of judgment and rescue. There's going to be three points, and essentially we are looking at what does Mercy Hill Church need to do to, that we would be prevented from falling into God's judgment? Well, that's, that's, a, that's an important thing. Um, what are the results if you choose to say no to God, if you choose to resist His love, if you choose to resist His grace and way of rescue through Jesus? And then the last thing, how can we take heart? How can we be encouraged? Uh, how can we find and have steel sort of put in our spine and find hope if we find ourselves in the middle of this storm in our lives and very hard times and trials in our life as a Christian. So let's dive into the pool. The first point about judgment and rescue in this passage and in our notes, there is a sermon outline in your bulletin if you want to fill in those blanks. Number one, this is a fairly negative passage, so prepare yourselves, okay? It gets good at the end, a little better, more hopeful, but we have to look at what Scripture is saying. And number one is simply beware of false teachers who seek, who work to secretly disrupt churches with heresy, sensuality, greed, and false words. I mean, those are some very bad things if they are going on in the life of a church. And so the, the fact remains, there are people who actually seek to do this to churches today, and they may not even know it. That's the scary part, is if you're in a church and you don't know that the devil is using you to disrupt things. That is a very scary place to be, but that's how uh, deceptive sin can be. Um, but the idea is with false teachers and people who would seek to disrupt a church, their mission is to mess things up in the church, take people away from Jesus, take people away from his mission. And, and this was clearly happening in the time and the age of Peter. He's writing this letter to the various churches in that region of Europe and uh, in Asia at that time. And so let's reread. We're only going to read verses 1 through 3 and then a couple other verses because it's quite a large passage. But uh, would you read with me to yourself verses 1 through 3, which says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies and even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. I mean, this is bad stuff. And in their greed, okay, because there's, there's some element of this going on, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not 
asleep. <laughs> this is intense. Peter is saying, okay, what happened way back in time with ancient Israel and with God's people in the Old Testament of the Bible, he is saying it's still happening in the time of the new covenant with Jesus in, in, in Peter's day. And what happened way back in the day with God's people in the Old Testament, and you see this time and again throughout, throughout to the, the history of Israel, well, there were false prophets. And they purported to be true prophets, but they were false. And these false prophets uh, desired uh, money and power and sex, illicit sex. And their, the pathway, their means to get money and power and sex was to pretend to to, or maybe fool themselves into thinking. See, a lot of them were just probably self-deceived, thinking they were God's prophet when they were not. All right? But they, were, they would fool people into thinking, I am God's messenger sent from God to deliver God's message to God's people. Can you hear the angels sing? Okay? The problem is the angels were not singing. Only the devil was singing in that, those moments of deception for God's people. But the problem is Israel was not discerning. They were not listening to what was being said, and so they drank the Kool-Aid, if you will. You don't want to drink Kool-Aid in churches, okay? Peter's point is, it's still happening in his time as well, many hundreds of years later. And since Peter's message in Scripture, Scripture's for all time and for us today as well in the 21st century, um, it is true for us today. This is happening. So every faithful, Bible-believing church must be on the lookout, must be on the hunt somewhat, at least must keep your eyes open, must be aware and beware for anyone who desires to come in here and to deceptively lead a church away from Jesus and away from his mission to save and to rescue people and be on the hunt for people and leaders with self-centered motives and motives of greed and, and lust and, and, and power. You might be thinking to yourself, we're okay, we're okay we're just, this doesn't happen today. I mean, come on. 21st century churches in our area, they don't, this doesn't happen. You would be wrong if you believe that. Remember the news from a couple years ago? Church in our area, I won't name them because I don't want to even go there anymore. I, I knew the pastor. But a couple years ago, a church not far from here, pastor, is now being charged with all kinds of criminal acts. And since we have some children and youth with us, with us today, I won't get into the details here, but this was a pastor. He was beloved, dearly beloved by his own church. I have a friend who used to attend there, and so I have a bit of an inside angle. And this friend, the way in which this friend would talk about this pastor, he could do no wrong. He was a powerful speaker charismatic what a preacher look at all the people he was bringing to the Lord look at the missions that he was doing in in developing countries and nations and leading teams there and the way in which this this friend of mine was talking about this pastor I'm thinking to myself well I'm a pastor and no one talks about me that way <laughs> what gives I want some more no I but that's good that's good that's good but no one talks about me that way um, and sure enough, a few months later, a few months later, charges are laid. Still in the courts to this day, there. The church, this church has been absolutely devastated. I mean, it's bad. Body count everywhere, spiritually. Why, how did this happen? Well, 
they let the pastor get away with bad things. He was, te he was teaching heretical things, unbiblical things that weren't in Scripture. The elder team, there was no accountability, not holding his feet to the fire, spiritual, emotional, psychological damage everywhere amongst these poor church members. And, and this is pretty negative. I get it. This is negative. But do you see why? We've got to keep our eyes open here. We've got to be aware and beware of any pastor or elder or church leader, deacon, deaconess, anyone who would ever seek to come in here and, and stir things up in a deceptive, secretive way um, and, and desi desire to blow up the church. Okay, we've got to be aware. So let's move on from that very negative point and go to yet another negative point. You ready for this? <laughs> uh, let's move as we la all laugh together. <laughs> let's move on to the second point in your notes about judgment and rescue. Simply, God will not spare you if you stay in your sins and actually despise his authority. He will not spare you. That's, that's what we see in this passage. It's pretty clear. And again, another negative, but a very true and very helpful point that we must be reminded of. Uh, let me just kind of... Uh, look at, if you just look at, if you have this passage in front of you, uh, look at verses 4, 5, and 6. And in these verses, you will see uh, three examples from the Old Testament that Peter refers to to basically prove this point and prove his point. Basically, these three examples of how uh, people are staying in their sins. I want my sin. I want to do what I want to do. Um, and they're despising God's authority. I don't want to listen to you, God. I don't care what you've done. I don't care about your love. I want to do my own thing in my own time, in my, my, in my own place for me. Well, he's then unpacking the very dire, real consequences of such a decision to resist God. The first example that he refers to is from the Old Testament, verse 4. And this is a, an interesting, a bit hard to understand Bible story that they don't teach in Sunday school anymore. Uh, when it comes to Noah's Ark, generally they speak about the Ark and the flood and the animals, but they don't talk about what happened just before that was at least one factor as to why God judged the earth with a worldwide flood, okay? Uh, let me try to explain this uh, by the way. We don't know for absolute certain whether he is referring to, Peter is referring to Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Uh, but we, most Bible commentators do believe that this is what he has in mind. And let me just set this up as a, a really weird Bible story, okay? Basically, it is described in those verses, chapter 6 of Genesis, that some angels... Uh, notice that God made humanity and made some, some women who were a part of humanity. And these angels from heaven uh, saw that they were beautiful. And so they wanted to take some of these women for themselves. And they had children from these, with these angels. And it's, it's just really weird, like Jerry Springer all around. It's just odd. It's just like cringe factor. And it seems as if the offspring from these angels and women produced a new race of people called the Nephilim. This is mentioned in those verses. And these were known as the great and mighty men of God. Um, and so that might be one of the sub-reasons as to why God uh, destroyed humanity is because basically these angels were basically trying to disrupt God's plan, okay? And it sounds weird. And we don't know much more than what Genesis 6 tells us. But basically Peter seems to believe, here's an example Here's an example of some angels. They disobey God. They try to subvert what God was doing, to subvert God's intent and his authority, and disobey God, try to mess up humanity. Therefore, what are, what are the results from God? He judges them. He sends them straight to hell. That's, that's what happens. That's what happens. Happened to the angels, even. Then, that's the first example. The second example of staying in your sins that P Peter gives us is found 
in, uh, is connected, it's in verse 5, connected with verse 4, same general time frame, uh, but it's actually more focused on humanity and Noah. And what happened in, in, in the, the Bible story, and this is in Genesis 6 to 9, God sent this worldwide flood to judge and punish humanity for staying in their sins, subverting God's authority. And, and it wasn't la for lack of warning. It appears that Noah probably spent decades preaching, trying to appeal to his neighbors and the people who saw him building, building this giant ark. Like, they thought he was nuts, ridiculing the poor guy. He's trying to warn them, a flood is coming for your sins. You've got to turn to God, trust in Him. All right? And only Noah, though, and his family heeded the warning. And only they were saved. Only they trusted and obeyed God. And only they were sa saved and spared. And they made that ark. And they floated. And they survived. He preserved and he saved and rescued his people. So that's the second example. You ready for the third example? From the Old Testament, verse 6. It speaks about something very negative as well. <laughs> Genesis chapter 19. It is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And these are two cities that were blatantly, outrightly disobedient towards God. They rejected God's authority in their lives. They were warned about God's coming judgment. But this, these, the people in these two cities were more about pursuing their own sexual agendas, pursuing their own sexual immorality, and their own perverse ways, than they were about pursuing God and His right ways that are actually life-giving, that are actually healthy for your soul and for your life. And so here's what we learn from these three examples of staying in your sins, rejecting God's authority, His good and helpful authority in our lives, the first thing we learn is that God means business. Okay? He means business. There is no long-term upside to resisting Him. There's no upside to resisting Christ and saying no to the cross and saying no to the invitation to, to be forgiven. You know, Christ, He's made a way possible for us to to be forgiven and come to God and have this relationship with God and His people and heaven, new heavens, new earth. But He means business. Like, we've got to confess our repent of our sins, trust in Christ, and be baptized. Hell is real. It is a real place, and it is a place that real people go to, and it's serious stuff. And so if and maybe you're here, you're like, I have not yet become a Christian. You're feeling convicted like you should. I'm saying you should. Don't delay. Today's the day of salvation, as Scripture says. Let's have a conversation about how to become a follower of Christ, to have your sins forgiven, taken away, and now you begin to submit to God's rule, His good and healthy, life-giving rule and reign in your life. You need that. I need. We all need that. We were made for that, actually. Second thing that we learn. Okay, God means business, firstly. Second thing that we learn is that just like Noah, remember Noah and his family, if you know the Bible story, they're on the ark, God preserves them, he spares them. Just like Noah, and then he preserves and rescues Lot, he gets them out of the city before God rained down sulfur and fire upon Sodom and Gomorrah for their, their sinful ways. Well, just like Noah and Lot and their families, uh, we are, are like them, Christians. We're like Noah, we're like Lot and their families. Here we are in our culture, we are a stark minority of people who follow Jesus in our wider society. Most people in our cities do not love and trust and follow Jesus. Am I right? They do not submit to His ways. They do not, not, do not submit to God's good authority outlined in Scripture. They do not. All right? So most people are in that category very sadly, very tragically. And we're not better than them, by the way. We're just, we've just trusted in Christ, the one who's paid for our sins. That's it. All right? And so 
We are a minority. Jesus makes it clear for us not to be surprised that we are a minority, a preserved people. He says in Matthew 7, 13, and 14 these words, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. It is easier that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to life. And those who find it are few. There it is. So my point is, yeah, we're a minority. We always will be. But let us not be discouraged by that. Let us not give up because of that. Be encouraged, rather, that God promises, promises to protect us in Christ. And in the meantime, let us do everything possible that we can to reach out, to live out the ways of the gospel, to speak words of gospel, to basically say, you can be preserved and rescued as well through Christ, through what he's done for you on his cross. You can come to heaven. Let's take as many people to heaven as we can with every minute of every day that God gives us. Let us do that. We have a mission. Let us be people who spread the news about the rescuer, our Lord Jesus. That's point number two. Let's move on to point number three. And believe it or not, this message will be strangely short, I think. Um, number three in your notes is this. Take heart that if you trust Jesus and pursue righteousness, which is right living, God will preserve and rescue you from trials and his judgment. Uh, we see this in, in verse 5b and some other verses, but the first one I want to show you is how he preserved Noah. Here it says, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness. All right? Herald being, again, Noah is someone who heralds truth, proclaims truth. He's a preacher of God's right ways. Uh, and he did that probably for decades to, to all the people that thought he was nuts for building this giant boat. Um, and, and that's what he did. It wasn't for lack of effort to warn people and, and to bring as many to the ark as they could. Um, but he preserved Noah and his family from judgment. Thanks be to God for that. Then this point is also derived from verse 7a. It says, And if he rescued righteous Lot, and Lot was also rescued by God, he was given a heads up, God's going to judge these cities, got to get out of town, okay? And by the way, Lot, it says that he is righteous, but he's only righteous because he trusts in the Lord, just like Abraham did as well. And then verse 9 is sort of the clincher verse on this point. It says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So here it is. The Lord promises to rescue the godly from the trials that you and I face today, not because of our own self-righteousness or our own self-godliness, no, but because and only because of our faith and trust in the righteous one, that is, the Lord Jesus. And when we trust in Him, He, and in that moment of conversion, of becoming a Christian, He imputed to us His righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus was transferred onto us in place of our sins, sins taken away, washed away. And now we are clothed with Christ. We are clothed with His righteousness. The, the term is to be robed with the righteousness of of Christ. We have new clothes, new spiritual clothes. God views us as completely, utterly forgiven. No more sin. That sin's been washed away, paid for by Jesus. Isn't this good news? And this is an important point, that we don't earn our own righteousness because, you know, I, I've seen some Christians over the years, and they get converted, they become Christians, and there's some good change happening. They're not cussing as much anymore. They're not doing this. They're not doing that anymore. They're changing. But then they're starting to get proud of how they're changing. 
And they're starting to think, it's all me. It's all my self-will, self-efforts. I'm self-righteous. And this is not good. You know why that's not good? Because Jesus reserved most of his anger for who? The self-righteous. Those who thought they were good in and of their own self-effort. You don't want to become a Pharisee like these guys because Jesus starts pointing at you and you're in trouble. Okay, So let us be reminded we are only, only, only made righteous by Christ and what he did for us on the cross. That's it. It's all him. We just respond to it. Anyhow, this idea of preservation, this idea of rescue. Don't you love, don't you love preserved things, by the way, like jam? You know, isn't that wonderful? Oh, that's tasty stuff. We eat a lot of preserves. I think some of you like wine. That's preserved, I think. Uh, there's a lot of preser preserved wonderful things, are there not? So for us to be preserved, that's a good thing. Uh, but this idea of pre preservation, this idea of, of rescue is wonderful. And uh, I was thinking of, trying to think of an example that came to mind. And the, the best example I could find about the idea of preservation and rescue and restoration uh, was from YouTube. I like watching YouTube. Uh, and there's a YouTube channel that I subscribe to called Hagerty. Anybody know what Hagerty is? There a, yeah, there's a few of you that know Hagerty. It's a good channel. Um, and one of the guys that produces uh, videos on this Hagerty channel um, is a guy known as, I don't know his real name, I just call him the Barn Fine Hunter. The Barn Fine Hunter. Okay? And <laughs> he's an older gentleman. All he does is hunt for barns. Because maybe in those barns, there's going to be an old car that the owner set aside in his or her barn. Why would they set that old car, the old classic car, in that barn to preserve the car so that someday a full restoration might occur, making that car more glorious and more beautiful than ever before? It's a wonderful thing. Basically, the idea of saving these old classic beautiful cars from being recycled or placed into the scrap heap, okay? And being a car guy, I mean, I really love and appreciate older classic cars and trucks and motorcycles, and I love watching this channel because sometimes they actually go to these barns and they say, you know what, we're going to buy that car because it's such a, such a gem, and we're going to take it back to our shop, and we're going to fully, completely, utterly restore this vehicle, and then it becomes this, this glistening, beautiful, amazing Thing like that. There it is. I was waiting for that slide. I'm like, I don't know when this slide's coming up, but I'm going to keep dragging it out until it comes up. Thank you, Cammie, for your patience. I get, off, I get off manuscript. You see, that's the problem. I think it's a 57 Chevy. Am I right? 57? Yeah. It's about one of the premier classic vehicles and uh, probably better tires than ever before. The, I mean, the, anyhow, I won't get into it, but they're making tires better than ever. I mean, this is better than it was back in 57, all because some owner decided, i got to preserve this thing for rescue and restoration later. You see where I'm going with this, sort of? This is kind of like our Christian lives and our life as a church family. Whereas here we are as Christians. We're a Christian. And you know what? We keep taking hits for our faith, overtly or subtly. It's there. We are often viewed, if you hold to scriptural truth and values, you're viewed as, it's like someone's, I shouldn't use this illustration, but it's like someone's passed gas in a room, and what's that smell? Oh, there's a traditionalist, a guy who wants to follow the Bible and take it seriously. It's like, what is that? They don't like it, and you get treated like that. And it's not good. You're viewed as old-fashioned, 
and you're viewed as out of touch for holding to, to Scripture, which is timeless. It's timeless. It will outlast all of us. And so people feel sorry for you, and it's just really annoying sometimes, isn't it? It's annoying just because you're, you're trying to remain faithful to Jesus and do the right thing and, and follow God and, and enjoy this relationship with God. And it takes a toll. It takes kind of a mental toll. And some of you, though, I know some of you are in families that you have relatives who are actively working against your faith, and that's, that's really hard. I can't imagine. But here you are, by the grace of God, you're hanging in there. You're hanging in there. You're hanging in there as you face your trial and various trials. You're hanging in there. Why? Because God is preserving you. He's holding you together. Like good jam. It's a bad example, but anyhow, he keeps you going. And he sets, he's setting you aside as like in a barn, if you will. He's protecting you. He's protecting you from bailing on everything and just giving in and giving up. He is protecting you for something better in the future. And your future that gets better is entry into the new heavens and the new earth, new resurrection body from top to bottom. I mean, you think that 57 Chevy was impressive? You're going to be far more impressive than that. And you're going to be restored into something much more beautiful and glorious than you are now. And so, Christian, I guess let me leave you with these words of encouragement and exhortation. Never give up on Christ. You feel the pressure to give up. Do not, please, it's your choice, but please do not give up on Christ. Never water down your biblical principles. Don't water down what the Bible clearly says about healthy sexuality and the right place for it, which is a marriage between one man and one woman. Don't, don't give up. There's no upside to caving. There is no upside to caving on what God has clearly set forward for us, for our own good. There's no upside to giving up. On, there's no upside on giving up on Christ. There just is not. There is no upside on giving up on the church. How many Christians have I encountered? They've given up on the church. And I get it sometimes. Sometimes churches are abusive like that one down the road. But find another healthy church. You know, don't give up on the church. There's no upside. So hang in there. It gets better. It gets better. It gets better. Do you believe that? Restoration and rescue just around the corner. I mean, if you're getting older, you know how fast time is flying by here. I mean, it's just around the corner. Restoration and rescue, we're being preserved for that. So hang in there. Stay faithful. He's staying faithful to you no matter what. Let's stay faithful to him. Let's pray. <clears throat> I'm so grateful to you for preserving us. We can't do this without you, Lord God. I thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to give us the power to stick with you and to say no to those forces outside of us and outside of our church hopefully not within our church, that would seek to bring us down. We need your help. So I ask that we would be encouraged to hang in there, to keep on trusting in you, keep on living lives that exhibit the, 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 the character of God so that people can see Jesus in us and ask us what our secret is and then turn to you and with repentance and, and faith and, and, and baptism. Uh, so place us on mission. Lord, don't prevent us from being locked in a bubble where we're not interacting with the world anymore. Yes, we are tired of being ridiculed for our faith, but 
May that not stop us from reaching out to those who need Christ, that unless they meet Christ, they have no hope at all in their lives. So empower us towards that end. Continue to break our hearts for lost people. Give us compassion to actually take action to reach out for your name's sake. So use us. Use our fledgling church family called Mercy Hill Church as a beacon of hope to lead even more people to you. Use us, Lord. We are your instruments. We are your instruments. Lord, we come to the time of the Lord's Supper now. We ask that you would help us to remember and celebrate all that you've done for us, Lord Jesus, when you lived our perfect life for us in our place, when you died on the cross for our sins in our place, you wore our sins on that cross, and then you bore the Father's judgment for those sins. We are grateful. You rose again three days later that we might rise again as well. And we owe you everything. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. Through Christ we pray. Amen.